0: In this episode of The Talent Cast, we separate the sheep from the sharks. We're going to talk employer brand some more because, you know, that's what we do here. We'll be right back. Howdy. Welcome to The Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I am always am your host James Ellis uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers and thus we are here this podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever we've instituted a 100% no pitching rule we're here to learn teach and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, You can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, As always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at the TheTalentCamp.com. The talentcast.com. Otherwise, here we go. Hope you enjoy. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Good morning. Yeah, it is for me anyway. Uh, recording live from the bunker here at my studio. Studio, It's a laptop and a microphone, kids. Uh, Here in Chicago, thanks for listening. Thanks for signing in, joining in, whatever. Uh, Hey, if you get a chance, do me a favor. Leave a review. Just want to get as many people to see this thing as possible, so there you go. Anyway, let's talk about... Uh, this actually, you know what? Let's let's go back to the beginning, because I get to blame somebody. Yes, I do. This goes out to Benji Goodrich. Yes, that's right, Benji. This is your fault, yours alone. You take the blame. Suck it up. Uh, Benji has asked me, effectively, uh, and I'm and I'm I'm paraphrasing somewhat. Uh, what happens for an employer brand across different kinds of teams? Uh, the way I think about that, and I'm going to break down the problem a little bit, and I think it's a great question because, first off, we think about employer brand, you know, first off, if we can get past the concept of just, hey, I'm going to slap a logo on something, I guess I'm done, you know, because that's not true. Um, it's hard. Companies are, are tough. Besides the fact that any company has a diverse population, and I don't mean color and gender and sexuality and whatever I mean each individual is an individual and they have to be treated as such if you go in and are treated like a number you're gonna feel like a number you're not gonna do great work and that's really what the post office is all about or the DMV and that's not what you and I do all day long if there's someone listening for the post office or DMV good morning um sorry anyway you know come on you didn't you did not join the post office for the rich diversity of thought and the complicated problem solving you do every day you didn't you didn't you got you took a test and you made that you you took it got a good exam a good te- uh, score and you got a job that's how that worked anyway for the rest of us uh companies are filled with diverse populations peoples are individuals they don't like to be seen as numbers they don't like to be seen as categories um i don't think i'm you know, kind of inventing the wheel here, or going on on a limb with that idea. The thing is, is that when we come up with an employer brand, we think about employer brand, part of our brain is effectively trying to say, how do we distill who we are into a core, into an idea, an ideal, and there's an L at the end of that word. Um, what is the nature of who we are? Why are we different? And I think the what are we different is a whole kettle of fish we can open up later. Um, but we're trying to apply a... Very, 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 very broad brush across a company. And I don't care if you're four people or 40,000 people. An employer brand should be true for the entire population to some extent. And that gets really complicated on an individual level. It gets really complicated when you look at your teams. And I think that's what Benji was asking. He was asking, you know, what happens when you've got a sales team who are nothing but sharks, right? They're cutthroat. They're aggressive. They're meeting their quotas. They're doing anything. They don't care if they're, you know, stabbing a, a coworker in the back or the competition in the back, they're there to make their number and make their bonus. That's what they're all about. It's all, you know, Wall Street boiler room get, 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 get. And frankly, that's not the worst thing you can see in a salesperson. maybe it's not who you want, but it, let's be fair, you know, plenty of salespeople like that, and they're fairly effective and they're fairly successful and fairly happy in their life and good for them. You know, we can't all be kumbaya, happy, lovey dovey, fuzzy bunny, you know people. Sometimes, you know, we need to be uh, competitive and aggressive and, you know, sharks. They never sleep. They're always eating. You know, that's what they do. Then you look at the HR team and, you know, I said sheep and that's wrong. You know I'm wrong. I tease because I love um, but HR did not get into HR because of the fast-paced nature of change. They did not get in the nat- into HR because they love complicated numbers. They did not get into HR because um, they were huge nerds with with technology. They went, you know, if they were, they went into other fields. HR people. God bless them, are really about rules, right? They're all about understanding, developing rules, seeing the bigger picture, understanding how the rules impact large swaths of people, understanding how those rules impact potential outcomes that you and I may not see if we're not HR, um, to understand how each individual might perceive those rules, how they work under those rules, how to establish rules that keep the company from getting sued but it still allows much flexibility for the company and the employees to work as possible. That's what HR does. That is a special magical skill. Is HR known for being cutthroat? Not in my world. Maybe your world differs. Maybe you're in a space where your HR people are, you know, stabbing each other in the back. But again, I don't think that's. I've never met an HR person who was like that. They're very collaborative. They're very concerned with consensus. They're very aware that the decision they make today has long-ranging implications. You know, wide and deep, longitudinally, and they need to be cognizant of those things. Salespeople who are cutthroat tend to be very short term thinkers, right? They need to get the sale now. They will do what it takes to get the sale now. Now, there aren't, I'm not saying that salespeople have to be cutthroat. Far from it. There are plenty of great salespeople who are long term thinkers, who are very friendly and collaborative, who are very helpful, but that is a school of thought for salespeople. There's not a different school of thought in a shark kind of realm for HR. Right, so how do you establish that if you're in a company where the sales team is sharks and the HR team is whatever the anti-shark is? Um, I, I, you know, I, I go to sheep just because it's alliterative, but it's that's mean, and I don't want to do that. But it's it's about collaboration and consensus, and that's the unshark, the anti-shark. Where's where's uh, Nass- uh, um, Nassim Tlaib to talk to me about the anti-fragile? And we'll talk about the anti-shark. Um, how do you have a brand that incorporates and, and embraces both sides of it without becoming completely schizophrenic, right? Now think about it, if your company is in you know, makes and sells something, your sales invariably are the front line. They are creating the most powerful consumer brand, right? They're the people expressing that consumer brand. Yeah, 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 you make commercials, yeah, 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 you write billboards, yeah, 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 you got banner ads all over the web, but in the end, when it's time to go and actually consider buying something, your salespeople are the ones who are front and center and establishing that consumer brand, right? They are the ones who are the face of that brand especially if you think about, you know, enterprise sales or anything B2B or anything, you know, think of, heck, let's go back to B2C, the ultimate B2C. Let's sell some tacos. The person who runs the cash cash register, if they're dirty and smell bad, how do you think, do you think that, you know, com, you know has any bearing on the consumer brand? Of course it does. That frontline employee, this is what Tom Peters has been raving about, you know, for about 30 years that, you know, used to be in the 80s that we used to talk about the frontline people were just cogs and they did what we told them them to do and you say the thing we want you to do and we gave them a script and they followed the script and if they didn't follow the script they got their ass handed to them and yelled at and eventually fired because they were just cogs and now we understand and Tom Peters has been like I said railing about this for years that they're not cogs we treat them with respect and you treat them like experts in this part where they are they're the ones interacting with the customers they're the one who hear the complaints who know what you know effectively the customers are trying to do and what their problems are the frontline people create the brand all the money in the world shaping that powerful uh, consumer brand via commercials and the web and thought leadership and content marketing and social marketing, all that stuff can get disrailed in a heartbeat when one person says something stupid. I'm looking at you, United. One person. You know that was one person. They put their, at, they put their initials at the end of that tweet about the leggings. One person. Either put the nail in the coffin for thousands and thousands, if not millions of people's perceptions of United United Airlines, or completely upturned people's impressions of United Airlines. This is a horrible thing. One tweet, and then the fact that they doubled down and said, nope, we're sticking by it. Yikes. One person made that choice. That is a huge, huge impact on the, on the consumer brand. But we're not in consumers. We're talking about employers, and that's the same thing. Your employers... Your employer brand is impacted by your employees. So, if all the, you know, I'm not really, as a customer, I'm not engaging with your finance team. I'm not engaging with your HR team. I'm not engaging with your risk team, chances are. I'm probably not engaging with your executive team. You know who I'm engaging with? Customer service and sales. Thus, the people who make the biggest impact upon me as a customer about your employer brand are sales and customer service. So if your brand is staffed by sharks at the sales level, I'm gonna think your brand is full of sharks, right? That's where the seeds get planted. My understanding of your employer brand is based on my uh, experiences engaging with that brand. Now, you may have wonderfully kind people building all your social and content marketing, but when the person who walks to the door is trying to sell me something, is really using some hardball tactics and really aggressive, I think your brand is aggressive. So. From an employer brand standpoint, how do you come up with an employer brand that makes sense for all the aspects of the company, both the sharky side and the anti-sharky side? And that's not the only kind of spectrum. There's, you know, uh, leadership. There's uh, ability to be coached and grow. There is willingness to solve challenges. There's willingness to fail. You know, there's all sorts of metrics, and there are great, great smart people who are doing far better work than I could ever do about all those kind of traits and attributes of what your company could be there's I don't think I've never run across a list that I feel is comprehensive that says here are the eight traits that any company can be and it's all you know here are eight sliders you can be very sharky or very unsharky you can be very collaborative or very uncollaborative though maybe those two things are the same you can be very work-life balanced or very not work-life balanced you can be very status oriented or not status oriented there's you know there are lists and people think they're collaborative but I don't buy them I don't think they're anyone's really cracked that nut and if you think you have Hey, find me at The War for Talent on Twitter or find the website, thetalentcast.com, and tell me. Anyway, back to the conversation. So. If you're trying to establish what an employer brand is that embraces all the different aspects, and we can get more complicated, your sales team are sharks, your customer service teams are very, uh, um, what's the word I want to look for, they're very, very supportive. They're here, they understand your problems, and not in that cable company way where they're following a script and you can tell they don't really care but they're saying words that someone wrote for them to make it sound like they care, which I don't think helps. But your, your customer service, you only hire people who are very caring and are willing to stick it out and are dedicated to making sure the customer is happy. Great. And then you've got a finance team who are just quants and wonks, numbers wonks who are just all about the numbers and they're very cut and dry. And they have, you know, let's say, let's take it to the extreme. Zero emotions. It's very black and white. It's very numbers driven and only numbers driven. And then you've got an HR team who is very uh, consensus oriented and rules oriented and not so much about um, being... Uh, uh, f- leaders as they are slowly moving people in the right direction but of course you've got the exec team who are full of leaders people who have a vision for the company or taking it in a different direction or the or understand the direction or trying to push it in that direction you've got developers you've got who are all about money I don't know or you've got or all about what work-life balance or they're all about whatever it is you've got all these different teams You have, these are different stakeholders or you're in different cohorts or different segments, however you want to call them. And they all have different motivations, reasons for working at your company, right? They all have different reasons. And, you know, it's about status or it's about the money or it's about the work life balance or it's about, um, the people around them and if you know and and it's about the competition and or the accountability or the I don't know they get to work with the coolest technology whatever it is each one of those teams can potentially care about something different and in that world how in the world can any of us come up with an employer brand that makes sense to all of them it can be done so I'm going to talk about Amazon because I know just enough to be dangerous about their employer brand Um, And I'm going to keep it fuzzy because I don't think I know anything proprietary. But at the same time, I don't remember everything that was talked about. So it doesn't matter. We're just using it as an example to extrapolate. And everybody knows Amazon, right? And Amazon's a great example because they've gone through some really, really heavy-duty bumps in the last two years. Um, Obviously, full disclosure, I've been an Amazon customer since 1998. If you can believe it, I'm going to hit my 20-year Amazon customer uh, anniversary in a year and a half. That's insane to think that in a couple years more than half of my life will be in an Amazon world and and, and more so than a non-Amazon world. E-commerce is amazing and it has changed the world. You better believe that. Um, but, you know, so huge Amazon fan and I legitimately like the people who work there. I legitimately think that there are, if I, you know, could do it over and could work anywhere and any. You know, I would put them in a place where I would consider working. So I have a fairly positive sense of their brand. I feel like I have a positive sense of their brand in an eyes wide open kind of model in that I don't think I'm just going, oh, they're the coolest company, I want to work for them, Which. I don't think is true, I think I feel like they're puzzle uh, solvers and problem solvers in a level that I like to think myself to be and that is a very complicated set of thoughts in my head and I don't want to dive too far in that rabbit hole. So anyway, we're trying to talk about Amazon, whom I love but in a full kind of no rosy glasses kind of way and obviously to recap you know they went through 15 years of no profits but a leader who said don't worry don't sweat the profits we are growing and not just in a pets.com outpost com kind of way where we're growing for the sake of growth we are growing towards something bigger and they have expanded their offerings insanely and let's just talk about amazon web services which is what you know, a huge chunk of the web runs on and frankly enables the entire startup world because as a a startup, if you've got a product, you don't have to buy a server, uh, a a full server or a server stack and you have to manage that stuff and um, invest tens of thousands of dollars just to get one customer on board. You can use Amazon Web Services where it scales up for every person you add. You pay a small fee effectively and so until you get customers, you don't have to pay anything. So it's a great way to scale up. Uh, At a low-capital kind of way. Let's talk about the drones. They bought a plane They're They have a delivery system Amazon, you know, they they deliver food now Um, You know Jeff bought the Washington Post Um, There's all sorts of stuff that Amazon buys and does an amazing company amazing company. Okay, however, not the friendliest company to work for, not the nicest company. Rather, if you're a company where and fr- and having been there once, ex- once, um everybody was smiling, everybody was friendly, there wasn't a lot of um gritted teeth and 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 uh bags under the eyes that I saw. Um People liked the work they were doing, but it's hard work. These are people who've chosen difficult problems, and I think that's the effectively the Amazon brand. Look, we do tough work, we do hard work, but we want to do hard work. If you gave us easy problems, we would be bored, or we wouldn't care, we wouldn't engage with it. Um, and of course a year and a half ago or so New York Times came in with that hit piece talking about how everybody's crying at their desks and in it's incredibly backstabby kind of world and no one feels confident and it's very political and gossipy and it's a horrible heinous ugly terrible place to work and I'm paraphrasing obviously for the most part it's a pretty it's a pretty rough piece and Amazon will tell you yes that piece was factually accurate but the frame was wrong because again yes these are these are this is hard work they're doing, but they like to hire people who like to solve hard problems. And you cannot solve a hard problem easily. That's why they're hard problems. Anywho, this is not supposed to be an Amazon commercial. So, in shaping their thinking about their employer brand, they had to take into account that yes, these facts exist. The Glassdoor reviews exist. The New York Times article, famous. These things are true. So if they tried to put a we are the friendliest fuzziest bunny as ever kind of employer brand on it everyone would laugh at them because they're not you know and that's not a pejorative that's it's just factually accurate they're just not those kinds of people they're friendly they're kind they're nice but they work really hard so the fuzzy bunny kumbaya kind of mentality employer brand will just doesn't fit it's not at all authentic coffee time As you know by now, this is a pitch-free zone. This is all about education. This is all about learning something. This is all about helping each other and taking what we're learning from each other and, and passing it along to the next person. So that means this is free. I mean, in every complete sense of the word free. What I'm gonna ask though, instead of a credit card number, is that you simply share this and that you review this on iTunes or Google Play. I, that's that's the thing that gets this in front of as many people as possible. I'm doing this because I love doing it. But frankly, the more people listen, to, the more I love doing it. Go to iTunes. It takes a couple of seconds to just simply throw a couple of star review on that one and maybe say something nice or not. Complain. Feel free. I don't care. Uh, but the more reviews we get, the better off the show ends up being. So that's all I'm asking for. Otherwise, uh, have a great rest of the podcast. Here we go back to the, the show. That's the trick, right? I should get my favorite coffee roaster to sponsor this podcast. That's that's the, that's the money maker. That's what I'm missing. Anyway, you know all this stuff. Um, so they have to apply a brand that makes sense for them, that is authentic, that does embrace this idea that we work hard, we have no work-life balance because a problem is a problem. We like solving problems and sometimes big problems happen and we have to deal with them and that means sometimes working on a Sunday and we're totally okay with it or at least We like to hire people who embrace this idea that the world is complicated and it's not a nine to five world, et cetera, et cetera. So what they ended up with was a brand, and I'm, again, trying to be as fuzzy as possible because I don't wanna get stuck in the specifics of this, but I do wanna illustrate this idea. Their brand was about pioneering. Actually, at first, I think it was about pioneers, and I think there was an interesting conversation where the concept of pioneer as a human projected or implied this idea of colonialism to some extent and I'm, I'm you know and I'm, I'm again I'm trying to keep this as fuzzy as possible or at least you know it was the uh, lone white man coming to be a pioneer you know blazing a trail sort of thing which is an interesting viewpoint certainly I never would have thought of it and I don't think the team who came up with it thought of it either, but it came into a we, we pioneer as a verb. So it wasn't about the person, it was about we do this thing. This is who we are because based on who this action we take, that is we pioneer. Now let's break out the idea of the pioneer brand as in we pioneer. We are doing things that have never been done. We are trying to do things that have, that people thought couldn't be done. We are breaking new ground, we are blazing new trails, we are inventing new processes. Pioneers can be Maddie, Ma- Madame Curie, uh, it could be uh, Ponce de Leon, it doesn't matter. It, it's it's this wide gamut of discovery or creating the space in which we discover stuff that never could have been done, done before, which sounds like Amazon, right? It sounds like, you know, web services and, and, and buying a jet and, you know, all the stuff that they do, uh, Amazon Prime, and it, you know, and uh, all the TV programming they're doing and all, all the stuff. I mean, there's so much stuff. Uh, I feel bad for whoever has to, you know, come to Amazon New and realize all the new stuff they do. But that's the idea. This whole thing is a brand called We Pioneer. So let's break that down because the question is, how do you take that brand and extrapolate that down to local contingents or local cohorts and groups, i.e., you know, again, the sales person people versus HR people. Now, the we pioneer, depending on who says it, has a lot of connotations. And the more, and this is what I love about the English language especially, and I only say English not because other languages don't do this, because I only know the English language and certainly can only feel comfortable talking about the English language, is that words are incredibly vague. And if you go back to your semiotics class, this idea that words are simply symbols for ideas that we've all decided to share, and regardless of a dictionary that tries to define these things, we still have projections and implications and connotations and inferences that we project upon these words. And so when I say strategy everybody within the sound of my voice for this podcast has a different sense of what the word strategy is why because strategy is a really big complicated messy word if i said chair you'd also have a very different sense because no two people i think have the exact you know the the picture that pops up in their head as to what a chair is is the same what is the platonic ideal of a chair okay it has four legs can it have five well, I guess it could. It still is a chair. Oh, that's, I'm breaking the platonic ideal, but still be, within being within the idea of a chair. What if it has 17 legs? What if it has no back? Ah, then it's a stool. What if it's the back is bigger than the rest of it? Well, then it, mm, maybe it is a chair. So even something as simple and concrete as a chair, which we all think we know what a chair is, but what is really a chair? Um, now take to the word pioneer. The pioneer, again, Madame Curie, Ponce de Leon, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, um these are pioneers they're all pioneers they pioneered different fields they pioneered different ideas um you know jacko Pastoris pioneered different sounds on the bass guitar um yeah everybody's a pioneer you can anybody can be a pioneer in their field in their space so the concept and brand of a pioneer can break down and be be connected to anyone because anybody who doesn't see that the job that they're doing is pioneering doesn't belong at Amazon let's look at somebody who should not be a pioneer by most accounts the person who works at the warehouse now Amazon has done amazing work in warehouse thought robotics robotics design user experience from a physical point of view process engineering the fact that they can serve a million customers every day that's not a number I know for sure but let's be fair it probably is Um, and provide hundreds of thousands if not millions of products to those people in two days really consistently that's insane that is an absolutely insane question that is an absolutely insane challenge and yet they do it and they have developed these processes these tools these techniques these um, skills internally over the course of almost 20 years now maybe 20 years now um, to do exactly that So the person who sits there in the warehouse who packs a box 20 years ago is a pioneer because they had to come up with better ways of doing it because the challenges placed upon them by the business were to get it done faster, more efficiently. You know, working with logistics teams to say which products are most likely bought where to make sure that that particular local warehouse is stocked with them, but maybe not another warehouse where that product is uh, requested very often. So for example, snow shovels a lot in the north, not so much in Arizona. Um, Obvious stuff like that, but you know, take that out to the nth degree, which should be the Amazon logo to the nth degree. Or Google's, I don't know, whatever that's a warehouse person had to be cognizant of that. They had to know their job would change. That they couldn't simply be a person in a big old warehouse with a box, you know, and I envision them with a hard hat and some gloves and some knee pads whatever, moving things and putting them on a conveyor belt and and maybe packing them up by hand, you know, and slapping a label on it, which is what we would all do if we started a company. But Amazon's bigger than just a company or but just a startup. They had to take it to the nth power and they had to grow and they had to evolve. They had to be pioneers think of HR HR had to be a pioneer they had to invent new rules here's here's a (laughs) this is one of my favorite factoids about Amazon you know they invented a font they designed their own font because they realized the number of times they print things on the web on boxes on packing slips on anything the sheer volume of print they had they would have spent so much money in font uh, 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 royalties that inventing their own font was infinitely cheaper that is crazy i love it though right and there's an amazon font i don't know that if you can buy it i don't know if it's available or freely available or for whatever but they 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 said you know what what makes sense rather than paying these royalty fees and rather than having to pay font costs for every single computer and everybody who prints anything let's just make our own font that's pioneering thinking right that goes on to the person who's inventing the drone technology and managing the web services team, and you know the the, per, the network master who manages all the information between all those hubs and all that information, all those servers and clusters and virtual servers and all that stuff. They are all pioneers. Now, some of those pioneers are sharks, I would guess. Some of them are um, consensus building. But they're still pioneers, they're still, you know, you gotta imagine when uh, wagon trains went coast to coast or whatever, they didn't do it individually. You don't really survive. Anybody who's seen The Revenant knows you can't survive by yourself unless your name is Leonardo DiCaprio and you're looking for an Oscar. Um, you can't survive on your own. You had to go together and thus you had to build consensus and say, together we are choosing to do make this choice. Uh, we're gonna cross the Colorado Rockies and man, I hope we don't freeze to death and man, I don't have, hope we don't have to eat each other. Um, but you had you did it at consensus it's still, they're still pioneers but they did it together they did it as a group they can, you can still ask for co- cohesion and, co- and consensus as a pioneer you can also expect to go home at five o'clock in some jobs as a pioneer because the work you did required being there from nine to five now i don't know which job that is but i got to imagine it exists so that means an employer brand that says we're cutthroat doesn't work because it doesn't apply to all the different teams right it means that you have to come up with a brand that has i don't know you want to say i want to say flexibility but i don't think that's right i think it has to be complex enough and robust enough you have so many different facets in and of itself that it can be projected to teams and even individuals. I'd love to see the numbers. And of course, I have zero access to this, but I'd love to see Amazon surveys that said, you know, you got to know, because they love surveys internally, that you got to know that at some point they've asked, do you feel like a pioneer? Do you feel like the We Pioneer type of brand applies to you as an individual? I'd love to see the numbers. How do people say yes to that? How many people say, I don't know? How many people say, no? I bet it's a huge number say yes because, frankly, if you're not a pioneer, if you don't feel and treat yourself like a pioneer, you're not going to last very long at Amazon. You're not going to be very happy at all. And the nice part is that employer brand says, you know, taking it out to the world, if you don't feel like you're a pioneer, or if you don't feel how you can see yourself as a pioneer, please apply someplace else. We wish you nothing but the best but you are simply not going to be happy here at Amazon. That's what a good employer brand does. It doesn't just say we're the best because you're not. Even Amazon isn't the best. Amazon is the best at some things, but not everything. Nobody can be. It's not about saying we're number one. It's not about saying, um work-life balance that's too specific unless you're sending even even SAS, you know who i've talked about before famous for having a work-life balance employer brand some people you know had you know salespeople had to travel that means they had to have occasional late nights they had to have so it's not a perfect brand to say it's all about this work life balance or it's you know goldman sachs it's all about status some people it's about money some people it's about growing something you know it's complicated. You can't just say we're all about status, we're all about money, we're all about work-life balance, we're all about supporting each other. That's part of it. That's a piece of it. That's a means by which you extrapolate out the core brand to an individual, or to teams, but you can't simply say that's true across the board. So let's talk that out one more time. So an employer brand is an idea. and It is an idea that is complex and complicated and interesting and, and 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 valid enough that everybody who works there has this tiny little through line of an idea or an ideal and I don't know if it's idea or ideal that's why I keep saying both I'm literally thinking about it as I talk here interesting and that thread that runs through every team and every person is true it's not the logo it's not the person who pays the checks it's it's this idea you have to assume that we live in a world because I think for you know and. <laughs> It's true, but like in a William Gibson manner where this is true but it hasn't been widely distributed yet, evenly distributed yet. Uh, that's the William Gibson quote, the future is here, it just hasn't been evenly distributed yet. I think this idea that people should have the opportunity to be flexible in their workspace, to be able to say, you know what, I don't like the mission here, I don't like the brand here, I don't like what we stand for, I don't like the kind of people here, so thus I will leave. I think that's true. So I've been spending a lot of time, Not this isn't as much of a tangent as it sounds, I've been spending a lot of time on Blind, which, if you haven't heard about it, is an app. It is effectively a secret, anonymous conversation space to talk about companies. Uh, it lists the company you work on and whatever fake name you apply to it, but that's it. And people ask questions. Now, the audience is directed to is not surprisingly the tech space. Almost, all right. I would mean, guess, and I have no numbers to base this. Most of their audiences are San Francisco, Palo Alto Valley area, and Seattle, with some smaller audiences in uh, Austin and New York, um, maybe Chicago, maybe you know uh, you know beyond the U.S. space. Um, I think there's a couple in India. They're an audience focused on that those companies the obvious tech companies your your Netflix's your Amazon's your Microsoft's your Apple's your Facebook's your box your you know those big companies right and they talk to each other in a man that is very very open it's (laughs) beyond the Glassdoor review and I know people try to hold the Glassdoor review to be the most honest review and I don't think that's true in any way shape or form having left a few reviews in my life um, I think they're more emotional, and I think they're sometimes very political, regardless of being anonymous, than 100% authentic. I know plenty of reviews that I can see, and it's clear that that person is sucking up to their boss, um, which, hey, good for them if they think that works, whatever. I think this the blind area is where people are more authentic. They're really looking for something. And the reason they engage in the blind app is to ask things like, um, why do you work at Amazon or Apple or Facebook or Netflix or wherever, or what's the salary range for these kinds of jobs, or what's the process for hiring? They're asking the questions you really aren't supposed to ask publicly, right? If you went to a recruiter and said, what's the hiring range for this job that you haven't offered me? The recruiter would say, yeah, I I think we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, That's information they hold very close to the vest, not surprisingly. So this is a space where people ask those questions, and it's very interesting to see how people talk about their company where there is a obvious and well-defined employee or brand and where there isn't and a lot of people ask talking about you know what's the salary range and how do i you know how do i negotiate a a raise and you know there are there's a lot of how do i do this how do i make a lot of money um Again, I don't think people go into the tech world in Silicon Valley because they love the work-life balance. They get there because they think they're a (laughs) better— I have this theory that places have DNA woven into them, and I think San Francisco was a town that was built on the gold rush and that never changed. I think the gold that we're looking for is different, but I think the mentality of the people who are attracted to that space has not changed. Changed in the least in the same way that Texas and Oklahoma uh, it was founded by people who wanted to be free, who wanted all they wanted, they they, they wanted to be away from government. Not surprisingly, this is where the uh, the people who are incredibly libertarian live. That's that, that and that's from 200, 150 years ago. That DNA has been true. Same with San Francisco. Um, I don't think L.A. will ever care stop caring about how you look. <laughs> I think that's just part of their DNA um anyway uh oh gosh i had a, I had a tangent now i can't get back oh yeah so so san francisco they're they're looking for that money they sh- they showed up to the valley to make their pot of gold to, to 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 hit that gold mine to hit that that their 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 stake in the world to hit it rich quickly and they know that there's work they certainly know that f- you know piling all sorts of junk on a burrow and walking it up the mountain to a stream in the hopes of finding gold is not easy work but the payoff has the potential to be massive that is the reason they graduate from where they graduate they look for these jobs because they know the payoff could potentially be massive of course my concern is that these people are looking at these unicorn companies and pretending that they're normal and they're unicorns I mean, unicorns by nature of their definition are insanely rare, but we're treating them like a Google is the norm and it's not. And I wish we would all embrace that idea that Google is unusual and weird. Amazon is unusual and weird. There are only a handful of these companies. It's Facebook and Amazon and Google and a h- couple of others. Everybody wants to be one, but you can't be. You, they wouldn't be unicorns. They'd be horses. <laughs> anyway, they talk about this search for what they want and the money and stuff and they talk about how it connects the employer brand and it's fascinating if you put them in a corner if you push on them a little bit and say what do you really want out of a job they'll tell you they want support they tell you they want to feel like they're connected to a mission but the reason they made the choices that got them to where they are where they're making choices to stay in the valley in palo alto in those places to it's just it's to, to, to strike it rich they really hope that yes they have a nice salary but it's the stock bonuses at the end of it that will turn into a huge pot of gold that they can retire at the age of 35 and never look back like microsoftians you know the first generation or two of microsoftians or the first two generations of Googleans or amazonians where the stock price is now triple digits and much 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 bigger um they're hoping to strike it rich that's really what they're there for and they know that they can that has that opportunity however of course now that we're in the third and fourth generation of these these hiring waves the pot of gold potential has shrunk significantly. So they're looking for, how do I make stuff, how do I make money now? And of course, if you're given a $150,000 salary, which for most of us is not an insignificant amount of money, in the Valley it's hard to buy a house. You better have two incomes. (laughs) It's incredibly expensive and it's complicated. And so the employer brand in that space, to take it back to the actual topic at hand, how do you connect the employer brand to people and their motivations? So if you are an Amazon and you are trying to get the best and brightest, you have to say to people, look, we are exclusive. We only pick a certain kind of person because you, they know that there's a million developers in that area who want to work for them and so they get to be choosy. The employer brand has to embrace that too, and they do it by saying we pioneer. They saying, look, here are the ways in which we are particular who we are, and these are the things that are not that don't simply don't fit within our brand and simply don't fit within our culture. So if you're really looking for a place where you can. I don't know, just do a nine-to-five kind of job regardless of how good your work is, that's not who we are. If you're not willing to, to step up, that's not who we are. If you're not willing to blaze your own trail, that's not who we are. Please apply elsewhere. And so while we're all these companies, and I know plenty of other companies, including companies I am currently salaried by, are looking for talent in the valley area, we're all pretending that we're all trying to fight the Googles and Amazons of the world, and we can't because they're unicorns, they're unusual, they have huge salaries, but they're looking for a particular type of talent. Let's say you're an incredibly talented developer and you apply to Amazon and you're not willing to be a pioneer. I don't care how good you are, you're not going to make it. They're not going to pick you. So there's certain kinds of people who are going to be successful at Google and Facebook and Amazon and whatever company you're talking about, but they're not necessarily all the same. It's a function of the brand. It's a function of this is who we are and the other side of that coin by saying this is who we aren't. Now there's a company somewhere, and I don't know the name of it because I don't know it, but there's a company somewhere that says, really, we're all about letting you go home by 5 or 6. And the best developers who want to go home at 5 or 6, and that's the most important thing for them, they're going to not apply to Amazon and Google. They're going to apply to that company. That's what employer brand does. It differentiates. If without that differentiation, we're all fighting on salary, and Facebook, Amazon, and Google are going to win that fight every single time, I'm pretty sure, um, and we're all the rest of us are screwed, but I don't think that's true. Otherwise, there wouldn't be startups. I always bring it down this way. You know, if it's salary, if salary was the only motivating factor that mattered, there would not be such a thing as a nonprofit, and there would not be incredibly talented people in nonprofit companies. And there are. It's not just about money. The employer brand. Oh, by the way, there's a stat I'm going to put it in the show notes because I, I'm going to make sure I, I find it, and it was from. It was based on a case study in Houston about the oil and energy space where they asked people I'm gonna muck my numbers up because I'm remembering it from earlier this week so forgive me and they asked people if you saw a company with a negative employer brand would you apply and of course you had a, a pretty good split some people would say yeah they would consider it and most people said no and they asked if they gave you a 10% premium salary premium meaning a 10% bump on the salary would that change your mind and only 28% of people said yes and a majority of the people who said no initially said, no amount of money would make me work for that company. So in my mind, it's the um, Halliburton, PETA, NRA, you know, pick your very political end of the spectrum that you would you hate and you'd never work for there. Imagine they offered you a, a truck full of money. Would you work for them? No. So a negative employer brand isn't up, uh, impacts you on so many levels. It's not just about, oh, we're going to have to work a little harder to get people. No, it means there are wide swaths of people who would never work for you, ever. And that limits your talent pool. And that's why we care about employer brand. And that's why it matters to break it down and connect it to individuals and teams to say, look, this is how your team connects to this ideal. That's your employer brand. So, Benji, to answer your question, how do you connect uh, your employer brand to multiple teams who are very, very different, the answer is get a good employer brand. Step one, right? Uh, really get something that has a, that is comprehensive and complex and, and interesting and true and authentic beyond the surface level of thought. Get something real and then you can find a way, the, the through line, that connects to all those different audiences. All right. So there you go. So um, before I go, thanks for listening. Thank you so much again for listening. Review us, please, 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 please um, on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you have. Um, I got a couple of reviews already, but I want to get a couple more. Got to get that average review up there. It helps kind of grow the audience and then share this. Let people know that we're here. Uh, otherwise, I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening and uh, I will see you then.